Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm here with my buddy, Richard Harris, who's parked somewhere or stuck in traffic or something. He's in his car. And we are joined today by my very good friend, Paige Drews. She lives in uh, South Waco, also North Austin. Just She's actually in Georgetown, Texas, which feels like so far away from Austin. How's it going, Paige? It's going well. <laughs> Richard's giggling because I literally just told that joke that according yeah. to you, you were going to say South Dallas. So yeah, I was close. I right. gave you South Waco at least. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Paige, thanks for joining us. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Before, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm super excited because we, we had a little bit of a conversation before jumping into this. And so I'm going to bring that up first. But just for some context so people understand, uh, what have you been doing lately? What's your role been? Where are you headed now? Just, just to provide some context of, of your mindset. Sure. Yep. So um, recently I was the vice president of sales for Indio Technologies, really cool uh, startup out of San Francisco, where I built and scaled their sales department here in Austin, Texas. Um, they recently were acquired. So what can happen? Unicorn right. story. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And I've been taking some time kind of trying to figure out where I'm going to go next. Um, I had some things that I wanted to do with my home, my, my girls. Um, it had been pretty much the past seven years with my nose to the grindstone, just trying to get myself to a position that I could take a bit of a breather and focus on, is this where I want to go next? Um, I'm now, and I say now, like we're talking this new year, starting to look at some really cool opportunities and what I'm going to do next. Um, I've done a lot of soul searching. I was thinking maybe as an independent contributor and it just, everything in the universe keeps on pushing me to do leadership and mentor people and scale and build. I love the whole strategy game and coming up with what's gonna make this go fast, what's gonna be the most efficient way of doing it. So I'm looking at some VP positions right now, interviewing with some great companies and excited about what that's gonna that's gonna bring me. Cool. I think I think my first question is, you know, since you were there for seven years and got acquired, you know, as as Scott and I like to call it, you know, was it fuck you money or fuck yeah money? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to answer or that. somewhere in between. It was both. <laughs> it was both. Fair enough. Congrats. It was. Be it was. Be awesome. Uh, we don't need to go there. We don't need to go there. Uh, <laughs> Paige, Paige, right. We got. I we think gotta it just makes Scott jealous if we go there. That's yeah, the exactly, problem. Exactly. We got We got to tell everybody. You know how you got into sales because <laughs> it's one of the more remarkable stories, um, at least that I, that I'm aware of, and and. One of one of the kind of coolest and most proud, you know, stories as well as somebody who's known you for almost a decade now and has worked with you a few times. Believe it or not, Richard, you probably don't know this. Paige was a farmer. <laughs> True story. Tell 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 everybody your how you got into sales and that kind of evolution. Yeah. So my background, I'm a Jill of all trades. So I just and a collector of hobbies. I started out actually in, um, in medical research at where I was an assistant heart surgeon on pigs and animal protocols, and that was really cool, but I didn't want to know what I was going to be doing on Thursday at two in three years. 
And so I left that and I went into human resources and I pretty much ran a at-risk youth program for the city of Austin, working with uh, young mothers and girls who found themselves pregnant in high school, as well as some graffiti abatement projects. I then owned my own farm, which was, you know, I know there are a lot of awful bosses out there and they can be hard to work with, but I will tell you, nobody beats mother nature. She's a bitch to work for. <laughs> and it nearly, it nearly broke my spirit. I've, I've often said like the sound of my heart breaking is the sound of a tree dying in the drought and hitting the ground. Like it just was awful. So I realized that um, I'm much too vain to get so many premature wrinkles, like squinting at the sky, hoping for rain and left that and needed to get a corporate job and went online and I found this really cool startup company that did all social media with this new thing called Facebook. And I was like, I don't think my resume is gonna get me in the door. And so I called up my friend who was a radio show host in Dallas who um, interviewed uh, business owners and innovative business stuff and I talked to him and I walked in off of the street poking around for Main Street Hub, and this guy comes out, and he's like, you looking for somebody? And I said, yeah, I'm looking for Scott. And he goes, I'm Scott. And I said, oh, Mr. Lease, it's so good to meet you. And he goes, I'm Scott Parlow. You want Scott Lease? He's a BBS. Wrong Scott. Wrong Scott. I said, that's right. Yeah, I'm here to talk to him about an opportunity to talk on a radio show up in Dallas. He's like, you here for a job? I said, well, I could probably be talked into it. So the next day I came in for an interview and instead of doing a traditional interview, they put me on the phone and within an hour I was passing over the headset to have somebody else try to close this deal just right then and there. So we, we just, we just had her like do a mock call. Mm -hmm. the mock call went so well. She had, I think we gave her like a piece of paper with sort of a script on it, but like the mock call went so well that we had to transfer the phone over to somebody who really knew what the heck that we were doing. And was that your, is that, was that your standard interview style back then, Scott, at, at Main Street Hub? Or was this just like, let's just see what this person can do. Like, were you just like, on I think a, it, was, a it, wasn't, it wasn't standard, but it, it was, we did it every now and then, but like, you got to understand this woman just came into the office basically, <laughs> right? She just literally door knocked and, and, you know, weaseled her way into the interview process. So we were like, let's just cut to the chase, right? Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, right. it was fantastic. And, uh, you know, the rest is kind of history. So, so really, yep. really interesting yep. uh, path to get into to sales. So Paige, Paige, from your perspective, right, you walk in the door, I, I got a little bit about your personality so far. So I think I know the answer, but were you like, you know, what the fuck are you guys doing? Or were you like, yeah, bring it on. Like, what was your mentality? Yeah, I, I was totally bring it on. To be real honest, I had been working at HEB and making around $17,000 a year when I okay. was I, My life, I don't know if you felt the ground shake about seven and a half years ago. That was my life actually imploding. So my back was against the wall and I was like full on this has to work. There's not a, there's not a choice. It didn't right. work for the first three weeks. And I was literally on my third warning because I was so in my head about it. And I decided, you know what, fuck it. I've got another week here guaranteed. So that's a week of, of pay. And as soon as I let go and I was just like, you know, 
I know people, I can talk. The next day I hit a deal. The second day I hit a deal. The third day I hit a day deal. The fourth day, just like God, I took a rest and came back the next day and hit another deal. And that was actually Dan, uh, Sean Sheffer's very first day <laughs> was the first day of my streak there. And uh, nice. from that point, it was pretty rare in that first year to so you, not hit quota. So you, you, you went on and, and were super successful as an individual contributor and worked your way up into leadership, um, you know, sales manager, director of sales, running, you know, a, a lot of different team members and you've done, done individual contributor enterprise sales, but now as a, as a VP, mm -hmm. right. And somebody who's successfully scaled one and, and had an exit. What, what are the main differences in your opinion between being a, a, a being in leadership as, as a sales manager or even a director and being like the sales leader as a VP? I think, I think for me, speaking personally, the biggest difference, and it, it, it ends up being a win for myself, is I like, I like the wins of other people more than I like my own personal wins. And if your focus can be, you know, I was a great salesperson, but I say almost with an amount of pride, at Outbound Engine, I, was, I never left the top five in the company, but I was never number one. But you, but you, you can you can care about the contributions of other people as a sales manager. Yes, and that, and that's the thing. I wanted I wanted my people to succeed, and it was easier for me to pour myself into other people and see their success as like my metric of success than to focus on myself. Do you, and find, that, do you find that dynamic harder as a VP or even easier as a VP? Easier, absolutely easier. I really love to see people like transform and become something more than what they thought they were going to be and getting them into that mindset to have them succeed. It, how do you see that? How do you see that as easier? Like when you think about that and you, and, and I think some of it is, you know, the mentality of the person we're talking about, right? So that's in your mentality. Why do you think it's easier as the VP? Why is it easier? Uh, well, from just a logical perspective, um, the many can always do more than the one. So it doesn't matter how great I am. And this, I think, is what made me successful in my early days of management. I can't carry the weight of an entire sales team, let alone a sales organization. But if I can give of myself into other people and recreate that, we all raise up. Now, why does it feed me? Now, I'm a mother, I'm a sister, I've been a wife and a girlfriend. It is part of my, just my psyche and my person. I love to help, I love to, you know, that servant leadership is absolutely my style. I don't have any problem getting down dirty and gritty into the mud and the muck to help people succeed. Um, so let's, let me, let me, this is great. Like, I love this because we're, we're getting into the deep stuff. Can you, for people who are listening, right? If they're a first time VP mm -hmm. and, you know, I think delegation and letting go is often the hardest part, right? Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you do to give up as a VP or to pour yourself into a manager 
that they that you then see that waterfall into the team like what oh, kinds yeah. of things do you do with your managers like what's something tactical i think is what i'm asking yeah tactical is is simple to answer um but i'll, I'll tell you this is something i practice every single day regardless of whether it's in the workplace or at home this is a view that i have and i've had this conversation many times with lise as well as his wife with women with men whoever you're never going to be able to handle absolutely everything and achieve absolutely everything. You have got to delegate. The day that I let go of control in my personal life and started delegating is the day that I stopped or I started making a dollar more every day. So I used to hold on to this, oh, I can handle it all. Those are my kids. I need to teach them how to read. Those are my kids. I have to drop them off at school. Those are my kids. I have to pick them up. That's my home, I have to clean it. It's my dinner, it's my family, I have to do it. It's my house, I have to keep it clean. It's my yard, I have to mow it. They're my reps, I have to help close their deals for them. This is my team, every single thing. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You end up spreading yourself so thin that the powerhouse that you could be, if you focused it and focused your energy on one thing like a, one of those little spy glasses focusing the sunlight onto an ant, you've got that kind of power, but you have to focus it the, the correct way. I don't do anything for myself anymore. <laughs> I don't. Well, and I have the prettiest yard. That, that's Scott. That is Scott's mantra. Now yes. I know why the two of you get along so well. Yeah, we're we're totally we're just like walking around in this in a box. The two of us outside. Yeah. Place. That sounds right. Talk, uh, talk to me. A, go ahead, Scott. No, I was I was going to say, you know, um, uh, the journey to become a VP ha hasn't been as easy as as it might sound on the on the surface. And I think that I think that we you know have a <clears throat> we have a platform and almost a duty to kind of to go there and kind of talk about it. So. And, and, you know, I know, I know the story cause I've been there with you and talked through these things, but like, what has been your experience as a female sales leader, as a, as a, you know, a single mother of three going about trying to land a VP of sales job and, mm -hmm. and be a senior level executive, you know, and you've, you've, you can talk about that in terms of what it was like sort of the first time and, and maybe, you know, what it's like this time. I don't know if there's differences or not, but you know, it, it's been tough. And I, and I think a lot of women out there um, probably go through the same thing, you know, yeah. let's talk yeah. about it a little bit. It, it's, <laughs> it has been tough and I'm not one to play the, Oh, it's, it's not fair. My, my view on gender in the workplace is, you know, we are as creatures do think a little differently. We behave slightly differently. And with the um, birth of the Me Too movement, it's my experience that if anything, men are trying to be more open, but it can be pretty clumsy and it can be pretty awkward and there can be some misguided bias. So the experience that I've um, found and what I have felt has been okay when it comes to the strategy and I never feel like um, I'm 
judged against some other expectation that a man can do this better than a woman. I don't feel that way. Where my conversations historically have broken down, and this was a conversation Lisa and I had, because I'd go to him and say, hey, how do you answer these questions? I seem to keep on getting you know, held up or knocked out when the question, so let's talk logistics, comes up. And so <laughs> I brought that to Lisa and he- that's code. Yeah. Well, yeah, and he gave for, me- Are you a parent? Yeah, exactly. And, and not only are you a parent, but are you a mom who's going to get sappy about missing her daughter's whatever? Um, mm -hmm. Because my answer would end things and they would look at me blankly and they would just be like, mm-hmm. And then and I had enough ammo to move me beyond that, but I'd already answered that question and multiple times, multiple times, the logistic came up repeatedly after having answered it. What was the answer you were giving and, and I know you're in interviewing status, so you may not want to say this. What was the answer you were giving versus what you would now answer if you were asked that question? So originally, logistics, you know, they'd say, and I'll just take, for example, and this isn't necessarily the one I just left, but I do interview a lot with companies in specifically San Francisco. Um, and they'll ask, you know, what are your thoughts about travel and how are you going to handle logistics and I would say oh I'm totally open to travel I enjoy it you know I'm, I'm not I'm tied to living in Austin um, and have commuted there but totally open to that and I think I think I've got all of that buckled down and that was not enough and so from there I would expand the answer and start talking about well, my family is in town. I've still got a really, and they would then say, you know, don't you have kids? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got kids too, you know. And they're oh my god, they would ask. Well, yeah, because there are sneaky ways. Yeah, that's hilarious. You know, plus you know everybody's got social media. It doesn't yeah. much, and so they go around. Yep. There, there are ways to stay level and still get to it. Um, and so I would start, you know, well. They've got a really good relationship with their father and we split duties and all of this and that wasn't enough the answer that i give now is you know i'd handle logistics the same way as uh you, know, you said you were a father probably probably the same way that you would you know having a family um and any other father figure or mother figure out there uh, i've been able to balance uh increasing responsibilities over the past seven years but to break it down and then i go into i don't do my own shopping i don't do my own groceries i don't do my own house care i don't do my lawn i absolutely delegate every single thing in my life that does directly bring me joy yeah and it gives me opportunity and time to make my main priorities absolutely my main priorities my but I also think, are, oh my God, I think, I think the people you were interviewing, you were going like, oh, teach me how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, in they, fact, should, they should be, if they don't, if they're not doing that, themselves, yeah. they should be. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's not something that I have to really think of. Like I don't have a script for it, obviously. It's just, even though I've been off of work, I'm, I'm now like, I don't have time to grocery shop. 
I'm doing a million things. I don't even, I don't know how I would incorporate that and still be able to achieve all the things that I want to achieve. So it's something I practice on a daily basis. And like I said earlier, that allows me to delegate very easily to my management. So, so you, you said at the beginning of this topic, you said that, you know, since the, the Me Too movement, you feel like men are um, trying, I guess, I think, is, I think is the word that you use, but we're, we're collectively clumsy in, in mm-hmm. our efforts. So coach us, you know, what, what, are, what are, seriously, coach us, coach me, right? What are, what, what are, what are, what are we doing clumsily? Yeah. Yeah. What are a couple, no, less that for me, at least what, not, what are we doing clumsily, but like, what, what are a couple things that we need to improve on and should improve on and can improve on? Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, there are many things, but it really is an understanding and a perspective. Um, I just, it's funny that you bring this up because I I literally just checked my email and I saw that you had uh, tagged me on being a woman in a podcast. And a few weeks ago, you had tagged me on a LinkedIn post asking why more women don't post on LinkedIn. It's the exact same as if I brought you guys, even if you wanted to start having tea parties and doing spa and nail days, and, and which is totally okay. I went to the spa this weekend and there were more men than there were women. So the shift is going there. It's not a gender specific thing, but you both smile and smirk about it. So if I bring you into the spa, and you're going to sit in these floofy white leather chairs with gold trim and the nail polish is clear, but it's got a slight tint of red to give you that natural, healthy pink glow to your fingernail. See, you're, you're smirking. I don't, even, I don't even know what you're talking about. Exactly. Glow. That's where I'm at. I'm the opposite. Paige, Paige, I will show up. Give me the date and time you're in San Francisco. <laughs> I love going to get like manicure, pedicure. Like I'm totally down. Like I have no issue. So I'm smiling out of joy and probably smiling out of watching Scott's discomfort more than I am. I'm I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself like, and this is me being clumsy probably, but like I'm trying to, I'm trying to lift you up and push you forward and give you an opportunity to have conversations with these other people who have a platform. And so when somebody says, you know, who are some women out there who are, might be good, you know. That's not the clumsy part. part. So that, but oh, that's, I misunderstood you then. I thought you were saying that that's clum- the clumsy No, part. that part's not clumsy. The clumsiness comes from the perspective and the, the question of why aren't you? Why, you know, because that was in both. Why don't more women post on oh, LinkedIn? From the, po- from the poster, you mean? Yeah, yes, and that's, that's a lot of men. It's also though, if we if we get really granular, um, you know, you know, my daughter is an elite athlete. She plays at a, a really high level in softball. I have traveled with her. I, I listen to their their games and everything. And absolutely, and I just told her this: if somebody had on their resume that they played collegiate softball, hired. It just, it means something to me. But at the same time, I've had such insight into how they hype each other up, how they push each other. And you know what's missing? Crush them, kill them, make them bleed and cry. Domination. And and yet, you're muted. 
And yet when I go into a sales org or any other industry, an environment, environment, a man's club, a poker club, whatever, that's the environment. And it's incredibly tilted towards one gender. So everything from the pronouns that are used, and I just praised um, Aaron Fulkerson out at, in Mind Touch. That was the first company that company-wide lit used her and female pronouns. And it was like, and I was almost not ashamed, but I was taken by surprise that something had gone out to the entire company and the pronoun that they used in every single thing was her instead of him. And it was just bizarre. And I thought, I, I'm going to start paying attention to this. And so even looking online and reading stuff, the amount of time that him and his are used in comparison is so incredibly <laughs> disjointed that, you know, then you've got people who acknowledge it. And this is where the clumsy comes in. And they're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And they never use him or his again. And it like flips to the other side just with that one person. And, you know, and that's awkward and that's weird. You know, it's just the understanding, just knowing that LinkedIn as it is right now is a bit of a boys club. I'm part of this manifestation challenge through Facebook with Gabby Bernstein and it's a girl club. And people are like, oh, my soul sisters, hey, sisters, hey, si and it's like, ah, you got to be careful of that because there are guys in this group too. And I know how that feels. But I think the truth of the matter and the foundation starts with um, if everyone could just dress up, all the men could just dress up like Tootsie for about a week and a half and <laughs> see what the world looks like from that perspective. Um, there's a really great book out there, Scott, I think I saw it on your kitchen counter called The Power, um, which it, it's, if you've lived the feminist movement, you know, in the, in the time of Me Too, for me, it got a little bit like, okay, okay, okay. But it's a good, it would be a really good read for men to see how different the world looks from a perspective that women view as the status quo and normal. And when you don't have that ability and you don't have that understanding, you don't have a choice but to be clumsy. And I don't hold it against men. I think that they're, you know, the vast majority are, are trying really hard and their hearts are in the, the right place. And I don't feel like I've been blatantly discriminated against. But um, there is a bias and a stigma that, that remains. And I think it's hardwired in. And the shift is going to be a while, and it's just. It's I, I, we asked this question the other day of, of Kevin Dorsey, who was talking to us about, you know, what it's like to be one of the onlys. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, I, I asked him if he felt a sort of larger burden of responsibility to succeed, given where given where he's at, to kind of pave the way for for others. Are you feeling that when you? When you get into the VP of sales role, like I need to succeed so I can help up, uplift and help maybe provide the same opportunity to other women. Do you feel that as well? Oh my God. It goes, it goes so much. It goes so deep that I feel like that. And I, I've been carrying it with me since I was a little girl. 
It's the reason that I went back into leadership the first time. It's the reason that I'm going back into leadership this time. My great aunt Kitty was actually a suffragette and she was the first woman to vote in her city. I'm never getting out of that shadow ever. And I've got daughters, one who's 16, and I don't feel like the world has changed enough for her to have the opportunities that she's going to want to have. Just this weekend, she started crying about, you know, her softball career. And she was talking about like, there's not going to be a place for me. What am I going to do? Go and play professional softball? How much do those people even make? And if I'm not that, what am I going to do? Work on a man's team? And it was like, ouch. Yeah, we just got our first woman coach in professional baseball right. like last week. San Francisco Giants, by the way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's stuff like that that I feel like, oh, my God, I come from this bloodline. Aunt Kitty's, like, quietly judging me from her her cloud in the sky. Like, I've got to do my part. I have to be this. And then when I did become a manager, it was like, heaven forbid – you're the girl who couldn't do it. You got all eyes on you. You're competing with the boys, you know? So um, how do you, how do you you instill that? Whether it's you to your daughter or you to a manager, specifically female, right? Um, Or, or another, the only, right? Maybe it's African-American, maybe it's an LGBTQ, whatever. It could be any of them. How do you, inspire those people to press more because mm-hmm. you've reached a point where they're looking up to you and they may be going, Oh my God, you've done it. Congratulations. I'm so glad to be here. But you know, you got to sort of encourage them to like, you know, for your daughter, it's like, yeah, but you get to be the first one or, you know, and I don't know what the, what that looks like, but how do you coach that to somebody right from your perspective to get them to stay? We all have our down days. So I'm not saying you can't have them. But how do, you, how do you coach them on that? I tell my story a lot. And um, I tell my story not to, you know, I don't like hearing it. I don't like talking about it. Um, it makes me a little uncomfortable, honestly. But I feel like by sharing the places that I am vulnerable and places that I have struggled, it allows other people to connect. You know, I was literally just having this conversation with somebody today that intimacy doesn't come from listening intimacy comes from sharing of yourself you know you can be on a bus and you sit down next to a person and they're like start talking your ear off and you get two words in the entire ride and as you get up to leave the guy says hey you know i really enjoyed this i feel like i know so much about you and you're like dude I, I say like two words i didn't even talk yeah yeah that's yeah i've, I've, I've done that yeah <laughs> But that's, that's how intimacy and that's how connection and vulnerability and trust and understanding comes about is sharing of oneself. And I feel like having told my story, not just the wins, but like how I got here and what it took and in the moment, what I'm giving up allows people to see that it's not all glory. It's not like, oh, she just walked in here and she just had a gift of sales and, you know, just had it given to her. It was hard earned and it shows the kind of work that's going to uh, be required. But it's also, and I always hope this, I hope that my ability to overcome things 
inspires people to overcome whatever they're doing. The second part of that is um, I'm always, if I've told my story, I'm available. You know, um, if, if I give of myself, I'm given. And so, especially with women, my mentorship is being a partner to them and being a safe place for them to come when they find themselves up against the ropes or when they're finding an insurmountable to them hurdle to overcome. And I don't shy away from piling it on that it's, it's available to them and it has nothing to do with me. And I'm simply, and Lise used to say this all the time, I'm simply a lily pad. You know, where I am and where I can get them and what this is and where they are currently is not their end point. There's something further for them. And, but to be here now and to embrace where we are now and to understand that we're not alone in this, I think has is, been really powerful. One of, the, one of the things that I've tried to do and, and I've been passionate about over the years is skewing a little bit in my hiring towards can do instead of has done. And, and I know that um, you, know, you kind of have run up against that as I've run up against it. Um, so how are you kind of, how do you put that into, into practice? now and, and yeah. why and what are the advantages maybe for people who are in maybe people who are hiring managers right now or founders or vps who who are looking at resumes going oh this person's never done that before right mm -hmm. tell tell the audience from your perspective like what are the advantages of being a can do and it has done and hiring those types of people mm -hmm. So I think the, the largest one comes down to a conversation and a topic that is for the past year been my favorite topic, which is that confidence is overrated. Um, it's bravery that you need in spades. And it's been my experience and I'm, I'm proud of this in myself. I'm extremely brave. Um, I, I, I don't have a lot of fear in doing and tackling things that are new and my view on can do's versus has done is if you can see somebody who um, has been able to do a number of new things and has garnered, garnished, like um, brought in a plethora of experiences all over the map, that in itself tells you something. There's a huge conversation and it turns into an argument on should we hire, how important is industry specific? Oh man. Sales rep. It's the same thing. And you both go, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, I hate I it. I run into that all the time. I have founders yeah. ask me every single day, Oh, we're it, in XYZ yeah. industry. I gotta find I've, somebody who comes from the yeah. industry. Like, no, you right. I've I've been I've been I've gotten to the last two candidates and they've gone to the industry specific. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense because you said my content is better, but you want their knowledge. You can give me that. And they'll talk to me six months later and they're like, yeah, you were right. Yeah, you exactly. Know, that person didn't last. Well, and my, right. It happens all the time. My go-to joke now has been, well, it can't be any harder to learn than heart surgery. And I've done that, <laughs> you know? And so, <laughs> On a pig. you know, it's just, and, you know, founders that have been, I talked to one oh. maybe four months ago who worked in a, a space and the company was pretty new. And I said, is your background in hotels or whatever it was? And he said, no. And I said, so how long did it take you? 
to feel like you're now part of that industry. And he looked at me and he was like, like he had never really thought about it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not you, an can, you can certainly do that. Yeah, all, no, I think it's good. But you, you don't need to hire one or the over. Exactly. Can-dos are people who have done. They just have not done what's in front of them yet. You know, and I remember the first time that I was told that, and, it, and I've allowed it to fester, um, he literally said, you know, we really respect and appreciate that you've been such a can-do. I can't think of a single thing we've thrown at you that you weren't able to do. But we're really excited about the opportunity to hire a has-done. And then it was stagnant. And I just thought, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. You should be focused and looking for, and there's a place for has-dones, don't get me wrong, but I know a lot of has-dones that cannot do. And if you had to ch choose one or the other, yeah. can do who has not done or has done that cannot do, where's the logic? Yeah, choice is obvious at that point, right? Exactly. Hey, do you need to write, you need to write, for the John Barrows children's book, uh, but do it in a Dr. Seuss fashion of can do versus has done. Yeah. Right. Who do you hire? That'd be fantastic. So. Uh, well, what what can we what can we help you with, Paige? Is there any anything that you know any advice you need or or things that you're dealing with and trying to to work through? How can we try to make ourselves a resource? You know, you know. Just personally, I'm always a resource to you, but maybe you can direct it to Richard a little bit, who you're, you know, getting to know, um, you know, for the first time now. Yeah. So my my immediate need, um, I have a goal that I've set for myself, and it's a life goal. And um, experience, my life experience has said, once I have that. I turn into a bit of a fireball. And so I'm now pursuing that next role. And I'd love a little bit of coaching around uh, the interview process for somebody in, in my position. I've done it. I've been successful. But, you know, I'm now to a place where it's like, oh, I'm losing some opportunities here. I've won some. But, man, I, I'm in one right now that I'd really love to be a part of. So I'd love to hear a little bit of guidance um, for VPs in the interview process and making sure that they're pushing forward? Yeah, I think the, that's a really good question. Um, I think the key is it's a little different than what I would advise a, a rep who's going in uh, because you do have to be a little bit more mindful of the politics, right, of how this decision is played out. Mm -hmm. The kinds of questions I would ask um, would be, and maybe you are, so you know, if you know that if you're doing this, you know, then this isn't the right answer. But I would be saying things like, hey, who am I going to be working with? And how do they like to partner with people? How do they, what do they look for? And I certainly want to ask the person directly, but I also want to ask indirectly. I want to ask the CEO about the CMO. Like, what makes a good partner for your CMO? Because if he can describe that, then you now have the ability to understand what he is also looking for in that relationship, right? I think, so for me, I think at your level, it's about fostering those cross-dimensional, those cross-department functions a little bit more, right? Um, I'm hoping they're not spending a ton of time drilling you on, you know, dials and talk time and, you know, 
that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But more about where the partnership is and asking, you know, aside from hitting the number, right? Let's assume I hit the number. What else do you, we want out of the revenue machine that I can help provide? Whether that's partnerships within the organization, outside the organization. To your point, you talked earlier about strategy, right? Um, don't let it, don't poo-poo the revenue side like, you know, like, like oh, I'm not going to worry about that, but find a way that you can build that partnership, right? Or where are things been, have been lacking Right. Where where have where's the previous revenue chief failed? Right. Um, there it is. I just said chief, which is probably a masculine word. So I apologize. That's not clumsy. There's clumsy right there. Um, if, that's the those are some of the things I think that people are looking for at your level. I'm also assuming you're are you at early stages or late stage startups? Like where are you interviewing? Mid. It's, it's mid. I've got a little bit early and mid. Yeah. So at that mid level, it's still way more early on the revenue side than a, than an early stage startup. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. as at like an early stage startup, but there is the start of strategy, right. And making sure you understand how to, how do I partner in a strategic way with the other departments? Maybe that's the the best way to ask it. It's a long answer. Well, we, I'll take a crack at this. We we've talked about this a number of times Paige, but, um, I may answer a little differently this time. Um, the first, the first thing that I, that I think of is, you know, what you've got to do is you've got to make your boss's job easier, right? You've got to make the founder and CEO's job easier and <clears throat> hitting revenue numbers certainly does that. But how else are you making their job easier? What are the other things that you're exceptional at? Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know you. It's about framing this, your story and, and who you are and what you're, you're capable of. So I know, for example, that you are operationally excellent. You're operationally superior to me. I'm talking about sales ops, sales enablement type things, getting into Salesforce, getting into tools like sales ops and, and digging into all that, setting all those things up. You can serve as a sales ops person before you have a sales ops person. You have a strong network um, in Austin. Also, as as a female sales lead in Austin, I think a lot of female salespeople would be drawn to that kind of opportunity. Well, you might not need a, a recruiter now. So you hire me as Paige. Not only do I run sales for you, I'm also handling the recruiting. I'm also handling the operational component until we get to a, a certain a certain scale. And I think telling that narrative um, is something that is, is, is going to be helpful as you get more practice at this. Um, and the, the other thing that I'd, that I'd say is you, you want to get away from, and I'm a huge proponent of this, you got to get away from like locking in on one opportunity. I, I know people, you know, get excited about that one company or that one thing. I, I just, I don't believe in going about the interviewing process that way. You have so much more power and leverage when you have a half dozen or a dozen opportunities that you're excited about. Mm -hmm. And so collect them, hoard them, right? Swipe right more. Get as many of those as you can, right? And and use them, uh, just weaponize that Mm -hmm. for yourself, right? I will say that Mm -hmm. if, if there's 
uh, a company out there that is looking for a sales leader right now and they like what they're they're hearing from Paige, like they better get a hold of you quick. Move fast. Be on the market Go quick. Very, very long, right? And uh, you you I think you've you've got a bright future ahead of you. You know, I'm very proud of everything that, that you've done and uh, I'm excited to see what you're going to do next. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate you. Hey. He's given yeah, me Paige. some of these. So I appreciate it. Yeah. So I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to get to the story about how you would throw army men and GI Joe and the Hulk at people at the office. But next you know, time. We'll, next time we're going to we're clearly going to bring you back. I think, you know, what I would love to do is I'd love to bring you back a few months after you get your next role and hear about what that process was like yeah. and what it's like after you've been somewhere for seven years seven. to yeah. yeah to start over ish you know what i mean like i think that's a, a an interesting story thanks thanks Paige. enjoy thank the conversation. thanks Paige. bye bye, bye.